0: Good morning, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Brittle's in the Dark, brought to you by the Mythgard Institute. I am your co-host Dave Kale, and this is a very, very special and exciting episode—the best sort of episode, the one where I have chosen the topic, <laughs> and I will be talking about something that I'm really excited about, which means that I will never shut up. So, from start to finish, you'll be listening to me go on and on and on about violence and action in the. Uh, in both Tolkien, in the books, and in the Peter Jackson film, something that I know that many of our listeners are also interested in and many of the purists howl about whenever a new Peter Jackson film is released or mentioned in casual conversation. So, and it's also our, our first a episode with
1: a, with a riddle. That's this right. This our very first that's, riddle Oh, episode. that's
0: right, yes. More <laughs> importantly, given that this is called Riddles in the Dark, this is also the first episode of the season where we're actually going to give you a riddle. I guess, I guess we should care about that, too. <laughs> so, let's, uh, let's stop fooling around and get into more of me talking. Um, let me introduce my co-host, the illustrious Tolkien professor, Corey Olson and the beautiful and talented
2: Trish Lambert.
1: Ooh! You're hired.
2: (laughs) All right. So, you know, I I just want to start off by saying one of the reasons that we wanted to go in, one of the reasons why we've saved this for a separate episode and haven't really touched on this that much in our two earlier Season 3 episodes when we've been discussing the Desolation of Smaug, is that I really think that this topic... The action and violence topic is the most substantive objection I have heard against the Peter Jackson films. Of course, you know, as as I'm sure all of my listeners are familiar with, um, there have been many, many objections to the Peter Jackson films and many people who have disliked them. And I have found very few actual substantive uh, uh, arguments against them. I keep... Um, hearing people saying that they're obviously horrible and yet not actually supporting that claim, um, but the one the, the one argument that I have been willing to to agree with from the very beginning is this claim about action and violence. However, I do think that although I find this a very substantive objection to the Peter Jackson films, I find that very few people actually seem to really think it through carefully. Again, uh, too often it seems that like just to say there's too much violence or they're just action films or something like that is enough of a criticism, and I really don't think so. Uh, and I want to, you know, Timothy Fisher was just asking violence or action, and I think actually that's one really important thing to to think about as well is the distinction between those two things, which I think is a line that a lot of people are kind of blur in their conversations about it. So the very first thing we're going to do today is to look at The films that we're going to sort of we're we're not going to go usually I start off by going to the books right away. Uh, We're not going to go to the books right away today. Today I want to instead basically establish our terms more clearly. What exactly do we see going on in these films? What are the things that people object to? How do action? What what is that distinction between action and violence? Can we define some terms um, and really think about what are the consequences of some of these choices that Peter Jackson and company have made uh, in their uh in their uh in their adaptation here in in the in the film the films that they've made then after we do that i want to go back to the books and i want to think about both of those two things action and violence um as we get those things uh in the books and um do some some careful comparison and then we'll move on to thinking about film 3 and uh how some of these things might come up Uh, might come out to be relevant uh, in film three and some of the particular moments that, you know, that we're sort of anticipating in this in this regard. And then we shall do our first riddle. So that's the plan for today. And uh, Dave, since this was your suggestion, I will let you uh, go ahead and start with your initial thoughts about uh, action and violence in uh, in the films, especially Desolation of Smaug.
1: Just remember sure. to take a breath And ask me what I think About maybe every One <laughs> <laughs> Sure I, I guess Jeez
0: Sharing airtime with you people Is real good.
1: I can start um, you off by saying D. May, D. May, D. May Binkley is, uh, is suggesting an alternate title To this episode called How many ways can you be Hit by an orc <laughs>
0: Yes Yes Yes, that's a that is true. So, um, so I think the genesis of this was um, our 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 you know our various discussion sessions at Mythmooth this year, which if people didn't get to go. You probably missed out, and definitely need to go next year. Um, we talked a lot about you know we were going through sort of like what did you like about the film, what didn't you like the film, and I, and I, and one of the things that's on my list of things that I didn't particularly. Not that I didn't enjoy, but that I just felt, you know, I don't know. It, it, it felt long the first time I saw the film. It felt like it wasn't moving the story forward. It was the the Smaug chase scene throughout the Lonely Mountain? Um, and uh, I think that is a good example of what you know what what uh, an argument could be made that that is gratuitous action. Not so much violence. It's not really a violent right. scene as right. opposed to. Barrel ride, which could be could be argued to be gratuitous violence, or um, the the chase scene through the towns of the tunnels of Goblin Town, um, also could be argued an argument could be made that is sort of um, a lot of a lot of violence. That's something when I complained about um, uh, uh, Desolation of smog having a lot of violence, people people reminded me about the the, the chase through the tunnels of Goblin Town. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So. Um, my my main complaint i know there's a lot of people who want to make the um you know the films are too violent tolkien's not that violent um it's not true to the spirit of the books it trivializes violence in general i think uh uh, media uh, film tv especially american-made stuff tends to trivialize violence which i think is a, a very fair point and that includes these films um, that's certainly true. The, the the barrel chase scene seems to, to... There's a lot of just like, you know, uh, orcs getting hacked at, orcs getting, you know, chopped with axes, orcs getting beheaded, orcs getting shot with, through and through with arrows, orcs getting pinned to logs with spears, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a, there is a lot of cartoonish violence. I don't know if you want to take your little kid to this. And I, I don't know what my thoughts are on that, um,
2: Right. And I was more for, for the record, that, by the way. I haven't. <clears throat> I haven't. I, you know, I, I have a, I have a ten, almost eleven year old son, who hasn't seen either of the Hobbit films, um, and I, I don't really have immediate plans for that. I actually offered to take him, but he 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 didn't want to go because he thought it'd be too scary. I thought that was a fine choice ah, on his part, so smart, I didn't take okay.
1: him. <laughs> well, and actually, Dave, you know what's interesting? You mentioned the Goblin uh, chase. Um, Corey and I were talking about this before we started, and. We only really count two beheadings in the first movie, and one of them was Thrower. So only one of the beheadings was actually an orc. So it's definitely accelerate. You know, the beheadings have seriously increased in the movie too. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. They've turned up the the beheader meter.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Right. The decapitation um, count. Um, can yeah, I actually? Yes. I, I, I can. Could I jump in for some definitions?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. Let's, go ahead. Let's, let's, let's
2: go. We don't have to just unload all, everything. From yeah, because here's here here's one thing. Because you know, and and I, cause I feel like this is almost almost like a vocabulary or like a theoretical framework issue. People, the the words that people use most frequently to talk about this when they object to the violence are un, are gratuitous and unnecessary. And I want to make sure we define those terms, or and think about those, because I think potentially those are not very critical terms. They're not very useful critical terms. To say that something is gratuitous is an interesting claim, but I think it's a claim that often people don't really think about enough. Um, uh, If something is gratuitous, that just means it's it's completely extra. It, It is on top. It does not. It is not serving an essential function. To say that like. You know, basically, when I hear people say there's so much un- there's so many unnecessary action scenes, what I'm kind of I, in my head, I kind of translate that as I didn't like the action scenes. Um, and right, to me yes. to me those two things are not the same. To say that right. it's unnecessary means that, that you are drawing a reasoned conclusion that the plot that, 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 that no development of the plot and no development of character happens in that sequence. And I think that's actually very difficult to prove. Now you can say that you know the way it happens is you know that 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 you, you dislike the way that it happens, but to say that it's unnecessary um is I, I, again i'm i'm I, I tend to get uncomfortable I get a little twitchy when people start talking that way because again, I find it difficult to prove you know, take for instance one scene that a lot of people point to is uh you know to take two two major sequences from the um uh, from the, the Desolation of Smaug. We have the barrel sequence and the Legolas fighting in Lake Town sequence. Okay? Um, what is... What actually is accomplished? Like it's actually like, sit down and think about this. What happens there? Is anything accomplished there? I think... You can say yes. Now, again, I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm not saying you have to think that it's excellent. I'm not saying that you say that 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 we need conclude this is like, you know, a good and inevitable thing. But I don't think you can say in either case that nothing is accomplished by it, um, either in plot or character development. Legolas, remember, is a focal point. Uh, you know, he is... Uh, and we're going to talk about this more in our next episode when we look at the elves. But Legolas is positioned in the Desolation of Smaug as, like well, not exactly the Arbiter, but he's the central point. You know, you've got Torio and... and <laughs> I almost called him Thingol by accident. Thranduil. Um, <laughs> I, would have, I would have been a little bit of a, a slip there. Uh, sorry. Um, anyway...
0: What do we call that? Is that a Silmarillion... Uh, Silmarillion... <laughs> Silmarillion... Silmarillion slip?
2: (laughs) Slipperillion? Slipperillion? No idea, Uh, but anyway, um, uh, no, it's a, it's a, a a copyright avoiding slip. Anyway, so um, we've got Thranduil and Toriel, you know, clearly poised at you know two different poles um, of opinion, and Legolas, you know, perched there in the middle. What Legolas chooses to do is therefore, by the by the, the, the logic of the plot and the characters as they have set them out, a crucial thing. In fact, you it's it is there's almost the sense of, like, you know, as goes Legolas, so go the Wood Elves. That he is the one that is kind of embodying the Wood Elves as a whole um, as they are positioned between the two extremes uh, of opinion that are Toriel and Thranduil. So the fact that we isolate Legolas and have him f- and have him confronting Bulg, as he does, does that do nothing? No. Um, could you argue it takes too long? Sure, you can argue it takes too long. And you can argue that from a couple different ways. Um, that is, you can even argue that... Uh, I didn't even think that that action sequence worked very well merely from the point of view of the aesthetics of action sequences. I mean, speaking as somebody who quite enjoys action movies, myself... Um, there are, you know, not all action and fight scenes are created equal. Some of them are, are, are orchestrated quite elegantly, and some are not. And that one was not. I didn't think, anyway. I, I thought that it was, um, it was at best a B-minus or C-plus fight sequence between uh, Bolg and Legolas. But, um, uh, but again, I, can we say it's, you know, can, I don't think it can be dismissed. The whole scene can be dismissed as gratuitous. And the same with the barrel sequence either. Um so I think we just have to be careful. It's 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 th- 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 those kinds of sweeping pieces of vocabulary yeah. that I think we have to be really cautious about.
1: Okay, I'm buttoning in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I think your points are extremely well taken, Corey. And one of the things that I thought of while you were talking, and I don't know that we want to go here, but let me just bring it up and might be worthy of a discussion someplace else, is to actually compare Jackson to Jackson in terms of the Lord of the Rings action scene and violent scenes like Helm's Deep, right. Eleanor Fields. I, I, I do see there absolutely, especially in those since I've seen those more, the character development and the thematic and, you know, there's reasons for them, especially like if you look at specifically like a Gimli and Legolas. A lot happens in those scenes for the characters. And I think the same, I think you're right. I think there's some of that that goes on. My thing with the action and violence scenes is, like for example, both Lake Town and the barrel ride. I don't think either of those scenes should not be in the movies. I mean, I do think they should be in the movies. My issue is with length. You know, again, back to something like the Holmes Deep or Pelner Fields. I think if we look, more time was spent on the barrel ride, you know, there's at the expense of other story development, um, then say maybe Helms deep uh, scenes. you know, I, I don't know that I should make that my gold standard, but my thing is, is I enjoy, I enjoyed the, the, the barrel scene. And you know, there were parts of the Lake town that I thought, okay, I can get it. If we're going to go with this whole Bold's going to follow them in the Lake town. I guess it's, you know, inevitable we're going to have a skirmish, It's just that it seemed like to me both were protracted. Not unnecessary, not gratuitous, but protracted longer than they needed to be at the expense of other other possible story development.
2: Now... What do you mean by that exactly? And of course this gets really hard because you you know one starts doing not crit fiction but fan fiction uh, you know right. that is sort of right. imagining what other scenes we could put in. Um, but but again it, it is it is one place where I would want to put a little bit of pressure because um, right I would well, want the to ones, point to things the one, that have been short changed we feel.
1: Right. And I and I would You're take I would go back to, I would go back to the book absolutely. Bayorn and in the halls of the Elven King, I believe that there were there's potential story development that could have additional. You know, in a few minutes, like shave a couple of minutes off of the barrel scene and put them to Beorn, uh-huh. shave a couple of minutes off Lake Town, put them to the halls of the Elven King. I think you would have had an opportunity for some more story development that was in the book.
2: You mm-hmm. know, that
1: we or that could have been leveraged from the book, um, where we would have had more insight. You know, we only got. Uh, Tauriel's conversation, maybe we would have been able to see the Feast of Starlight with Beorn, maybe we would have been able to see him actually catch an orc and torture it yay, no, <laughs> so I don't know but anyway because <laughs> <I exactly>.
2: think... <laughs> that would have been a, a, a serious net increase in the whole oh, like problem with violence thing Yeah, absolutely. absolutely,
1: let's shift the violence over to you know, Beorn torturing an orc I just feel like those were two storylines that got a little short shrift and, and I, it, when I look to where, okay, where could we have cut <laughs> to maybe develop those, was to some of the action scenes. Yes, yes. I,
0: that's my. I would say that's my general complaint too. I, I think it's not a. It's for most of the scenes, it's not the mere presence of them. I mean, it, it sort of initially. Initially, I didn't like the smog chase scene at all. Um, but upon subsequent viewings, I actually have concluded that I, I actually do like it. Um, that, I, that I actually see so, story purpose in it I, I, yeah. I, I think it depends on what they do with it if they're using it to set up the dwarves claim that they they deserve all the treasure because they got rid of the dragon uh, drove the dragon out of the mountain then I then I think it's actually an excellent scene but it really i I, I really felt the first couple of times I saw this movie um, I, I really felt like it dragged It just felt so long it' just like and the dragon still chases and the dragons still chasing, <laughs> and the dragons still chasing, it. and there just there comes a point when the, um, in my opinion, where the story point, the story beats that this is serving, um, you know, which which I have entirely made up for myself. I don't know, uh, it, it, it could be that it actually serves no story point, and that it really was just a they just added in some action scenes of the dwarves chasing, you know, the dwarves and the dragon, um, but. There comes a point where, where um, it just it felt long. And then going back and thinking about the balance of the film, you start to think about all the various scenes that they didn't include that you were hoping to see or that you only got, you know, that, that, that felt very parsimonious, like Beorn's house. Beorn's house just went by like this. And I felt, felt like there was more meat there, more character development it could have done. But um, setting aside that, the, the, my main complaint with the smog chase scene is not just... The things that it butted out that they had to remove to make room for for you know the endless smog chase, but it was what what impact it had um, on the story being told on scene, which is that smog chased these dwarves around for like a quarter of the movie and couldn't get a single one of them. That they took took a took a dragon that was initially very very scary and and had a really imposing on screen um, presence. Yes, and by the end of this you know but you know there came a point when basically the the chase scene felt like tom and jerry yes where he felt like the giant incompetent idiot um monster that had no chance he's never going to get any of these characters like you know they're doing things like doing things like like doing the the cliche sort of um there's the thing right there and he snaps at it and it gets yanked out of his reach just at the last second Mm -hmm. and um and I, I felt like they did him a – they did Smaug a disservice by letting that scene go on for so long because it just came a point where you're like, geez, you know, come on, yes, I mean, man.
1: I mean, couldn't – you know, couldn't somebody have at least gotten singed?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and also right. he can smell dwarves on Bilbo, but he can't smell dwarves 50 feet below him. Yes. You that. Know, like, that I I
2: I agree. Some of those scenes were very serious strains to disbelief, and and you know, and I would I would even subdivide here because you know I've talked about suspension of disbelief before in regard to this to yeah. these last scenes, but it's different. You know, the kind of the way in which I have to suspend disbelief when I'm watching Thorin floating on a river of molten gold in a metal wheelbarrow is different from the kind of suspension of disbelief I have to have when I'm say watching. Uh, the entire company fall hundreds of feet down a shaft uh, and nobody get injured in film one In at the end of the Goblin Town sequence. Right, right. Like, that's, to me, one of them is just physics. And I'm okay. Like, it's like, if you want me to ignore certain things, like, this, this happens. Like, I, you know, I feel like it... I definitely felt like my my capacity to suspend disbelief was being imposed upon, you know, but I didn't feel that it was an imposition which absolutely destroyed everything else. I could still appreciate, because there were still things I could appreciate that about that scene at the same time that I was suspending my knowledge of how, uh, you know, bodies in heat act. Um, however, with the... it's. It's, it's exactly when the story and, when the story of the action scene becomes counterproductive. and Dave, that, right. that I think is the really important thing there. I would particularly point to, um, I, I, I do agree with you that his not smelling the dwarves when they were right underneath him is very difficult to understand. That imposes upon my disbelief in a different way than the metal wheelbarrow and the gold imposes upon my disbelief. Because now I have to change... It's not just that I have to suspend the fact that, you know, I, I, I know enough about physics to know that that's unlikely. In the same way, for instance, that my wife has to suspend her knowledge of medicine on the rare occasion in which I am... I induce her to watch an action movie with me. And she's sitting there saying, do you know what kind of (laughs) internal injuries that man would have sustained by this point uh, with all of the blows he has, he has, you know, she has to suspend her medical knowledge in order to uh, believe the fact that this guy is still standing up and throwing punches. So, um, you know, like those two things I consider on the same level. And, you know, in, in some ways that kind of suspension of disbelief is almost like a convention, of of films in general, uh, and 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 even action films in particular. But again, with Smaug, and with Smaug, there, I have already, you know, in watching a fantasy film, I'm already, you know, I'm already investing in their secondary world with this dragon, and they've undermined that in that scene, and that yeah. is that that that. So I agree. That one moment is a bigger difficulty to me. Um, Frankly, then all of the beheadings in the film are a difficulty to me. Right. That that's that that's a bigger difficulty. And Dave, exactly as you say, the fact that they seem to make Smaug to be almost impotent at the end. It's not that I was really cheering for several of the dwarves to actually die uh, in that sequence, but um, but you're right. It seems like he is he is he is definitely lessened, and I don't think it had to be that way. I think that if if um, to me, to me the, 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 the part of the sequence, of the, the, the Smaug chase sequence, and I don't just mean the Smaug hunting them sequence, but the actual, like, from, uh, from when they get to the forges of the dwarves through the golden statue. Um, the part of that sequence which seems to me, which I would call gratuitous, is the, the bit with Thorin falling down the shaft and Smell chasing him, and him grabbing onto things, and them hoisting him up, and all of that stuff. Um, That seems to me gratuitous. But but even there, I want to be cautious with the use of that word, because um, it's not that it accomplishes nothing. Here, I'm reminded... um, here i'm just uh i'm just all over the like obscure c.s lewis essays uh in the last month or so um but i'm reminded of another distinction that c.s lewis draws i i, I you might be able to tell i've just been doing a lot of c.s lewis rereading recently which is why all this is in my mind but um uh, but in in his essay his essay on criticism is the one that contains the 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 distinction from which i've drawn the Definition of of crit fiction that we've been talking about. Um, in another one of his uh, essays in the same collection called "On Stories," he talks about two different ways of basically consuming stories. Two different ways that people read. And when people read, uh, that that basically, in particular, he's thinking of stories that would be called action stories, um, adventure stories. Um, I mean, he's talking about things like Rider Haggard and. Uh, um, and uh, uh, um, uh, I, I, like th- things which which were sort of dismissed as boys' adventure stories, the Three Musketeers, that kind of thing, and. Um, he talks about you know enjoying them on two very different levels. One, the kind of reader who really wants to enter into who he doesn't use this term in his essay, but basically who wants to invest the story with secondary belief to employ Tolkien's vocabulary uh, to what Tolkien, to what Lewis seems to be talking about. Um, you know that he was giving for, uh, giving examples, for instance, of the times when he enjoyed uh, reading uh, you know frontier American cowboy and Indian stories when he was a kid. Um, and that it's it's not the it's not just like the excitement. It's not just the adventure uh, that he was interested in, but. But it was the whole atmosphere of it, you know, that what he really longed for was the whole, you know, the whole, like, the the whole world of the frontier and of Indians and everything else. Like, it's, it's imaginatively entering that world that he really valued about those stories. But he found, you know, in talking to people that there are many people who, in fact, didn't enjoy that element of it at all and really were just interested in the suspense you know in the protagonist getting very very close to death and then finding suddenly a way to escape you know that that um that that series of hairbreadth escapes which of course has been um you know has always been a feature of literature uh and has always been enjoyed in literature and in films um Is something, you know, and basically, Lewis was arguing that there are basically like two different kinds of people. There are some people who just enjoy that and for whom the atmosphere is actually a detraction, and others who, uh, you know, who don't need all of the hairbreadth escapes um, but really are invested in the atmosphere. The whole Thorin plunging down the shaft and Smaug falling after him. See, I'm 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 leery to call it gratuitous because it does serve a purpose. It builds that suspense for people who enjoy that. For people for whom you know their consumption of the story is going to be like their their enjoyment of the story is going to be increased by that kind of suspense. I'm sure that was probably effective uh, because that does seem to be the effect that it's designed to have. Um, and kind of like lewis i don't myself I, I i actually think i enjoy it more than lewis does based on what he was saying um i don't find that kind of enjoyment totally alien at all i i, I kind of like it actually but it's certainly not enough for me and it seems to me i, I would sacrifice some of that um especially when it Decreases from the integrity of the rest of the story, David. Exactly the way that you're saying. If the result of adding more hairbreadth escapes is to diminish Smaug, um, and to reduce his impact as this sort of mythic dragon figure, which they did do a good job setting up, I thought. Yeah. Then, then I think I, I I think it's a pleasure for some too dearly bought, um, and therefore yeah. I don't like it, um, but. But but again, even there, I don't want to say there's nothing there. There is something. It's just not something that a lot of people, uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of people who you know uh, analyze books and movies and listen to podcasts analyzing books and movies perhaps tend to enjoy primarily. Um, well,
1: you know, that's kind of walking the Critfic line right there because you know that is the true the the thing that's true about movies today in the commercial world is, you know, there are particular demographics and audiences that need to be you know, satisfied. And I, you're kind of, you know, you're sort of saying that, but not quite. saying. That.
2: <laughs> well, basically the reason I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I am avoid trying to avoid saying that for exactly that reason. Cause that would, cause, cause that would be quick. Right. Because again, to me, it doesn't matter it why yeah. it's there. Maybe it's right. there to satisfy. Maybe, maybe Peter Jackson was thinking, let's throw a bone, you know, to the 16 year old boys. And, by the way, the closest sixteen-year-old boy of my acquaintance, being one of my nephews, loved the desolation of Smaug. Um, yeah. uh, but anyway. Uh, um, but
1: that I, is kind of what you're saying. I mean, like well, what you just said is like no people.
2: What I'm saying is
1: Other people get into the right.
2: Exactly. The and what I'm saying is it's there. I mean, I I don't see any. Uh, you know, when I look at that sequence, that that little section of the sequence, the thorn in the mine shaft section of that sequence um, there I don't see that any serious character development or even like symbolic emblematic stuff which is going on in a bunch of other places in that right. sequence I don't see any other um, uh, any other thing happening in that moment other than suspense other than adding another hairbreadth escape um, by Thorin and see Kate, what Kate Neville just said is my own suspicion too. Kate says, "I suspect that PJ likes that sort of thing himself." So do I, um, right. and that's why that's why I, I, it, m- much sooner than I would even even if not just to avoid critfic, much sooner than I would say they're throwing it in to satisfy sixteen-year-old boys. I would I would <laughs> I would sooner theorize that Peter Jackson really likes that that's kind true. of thing. That's you know. true. Um, yeah. So, uh, right. he
1: broke away from Philippa's restraints. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, this
0: is this is all Corey's actually, polite. This is Corey's much more polite way of uh, saying the the um the often often tossed um, accusation of, oh, they're just throwing that in there to cater to the lowest common denominator, John Q. Right. public who doesn't care about the story, hasn't read the books and just wants to see <laughs> dragons running around on screen and. People, you know, l- lopping off heads.
2: Well, no, no, darn it! I am not saying that. I am not saying that. <laughs> and actually, you know, it's it's one of the things. Really, it
0: sounds an awful lot like that. It's... Basically, you're hypo you're 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 hypothesizing that there exist people for whom um, for whom this was really adding to their uh, their enjoyment, the enjoyment of the film. Of the well, no, I I I'm that I'm not really hypothesizing the the snobbish and and. The snobbish way of viewing you know and and those people are exactly lowest common nominator john q public basically the, the next the next snob step to take after that is and those people don't appreciate good movies they just want to watch action and uh special
1: uh oh fighting words fighting words yeah.
0: no i i'm not <laughs> making that claim i'm just saying you know, it's the old "I'm not saying; I'm just saying" defense.
2: No, no, no. I'm. Uh, I, I'm just making I'm, noises
0: without actually asserting them as my opinion.
2: <laughs> I am. Att- no, no, no. I am attempting to make a distinction. The distinction is between doing analysis of the thing. And and again, the the importance of the crit-fic distinction is not to depart from the analysis of the text for the sake of speculation about people's motivations that we don't actually know about, and even if we did, I wouldn't especially care about. Um, What I'm saying is, looking at these sequences, so when when, when we consider the action sequence, like when we consider the dragon sequence, There are several moments in it. And this is why, it's another reason why I get uncomfortable when people want to kind of wave their hands and dismiss the action and violence in general or even throw it all in the same pot because I don't think it is in the same pot. Um, I think that if we look at it really carefully, we can see some some elements of those action sequences are doing some things and some are doing other. I'm not talking about John Q. Public. I'm talking about that one section which seems to be doing one thing which is to be adding suspense, to be adding a hairbreadth escape. Right. I don't see any other function of the of the mine shaft segment of that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me give you... And I'm saying... So basically, I'm trying to create a distinction between those and, and, and other uh, action things. Now, mm-hmm. there I was... From then, I went to C.S. Lewis's distinction. Now, C.S. Lewis is much more hierarchical. He does, quite unashamedly, call... You know, the the kind of enjoyment of story, which is just invested in su- suspense and hairbreadth escapes, lower than the higher reading that, of the story. We're getting
1: into that literary-unliterary thing again, because, boy, I really went wild about that. <laughs> I know. I got... So- so I'm by that.
2: I know it. I know it. No, Lewis is quite unashamed about calling one low and one high. I'm not doing that and I'm not saying anything about least common denominators. In fact, as I've said, I myself quite enjoy that kind of thing. I I, I can tell I enjoy it much more than much more than Lewis did. Um, and as I said, I'm I am I am I am a sucker for action movies actually in, for similar in similar ways, uh, and for similar reasons to why I'm a sucker for sports, actually. But anyway. Um, <laughs>
1: well, let me, let me give you another yeah. scene. Because in, in kind of the same theme. Kate Neville a while back brought this up. And, and she talks about um, the flying bomber versus... And, and actually, this is within the story itself. I mean, think it's a really good point. She says she thinks the bouncing bomber was fun but didn't add anything to his character or understanding of the dwarves, or I, I will add to the story. And in fact, and I think this is the point that I think I would like to discuss with you guys, I think it's slightly distracted from Keeley's heroism Port portcullis. So there we have, you know, people that like slapstick and, you know, that kind of stuff with a flying bomber, which was fun. But I think her point is worth thinking about. Did it take away from you know, Keeley's action and the actual story. It's or, or, you know, we can even go further with Legolas, you know, straddling two dwarfs heads too. That's another scene.
2: Right. Though, though, you know, as, as, as funny as that was, there are also ways of course, in which that, that was a little bit satisfying on a symbolic level as well. You know, I mean, there are ways in which, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was funny and it was clearly comical, Um, but again, there are also ways in which Legolas, you know, fighting literally, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, myself, I couldn't help but think of the, the, the medieval saying, you know, we are, we are dwarves standing on the shoulders of giants. And I'm like, look, it's an elf standing on the heads of dwarves. (laughs) Uh, you know. But, but again, especially in the immediate, you know, w- with the immediate context of, you know, this is our fight, you know, are we joining with them? And it's like, well, you were ju- you know, the fact that they <laughs> you were... were just, you were
1: just standing on their
2: heads. Right, you were just standing on their heads. Like, they, you know, they, 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 they couldn't have been, you know, uh, joining together in, you know, greater, <laughs> more intimate cooperation than they were just then. But um, uh, so uh, that, that, uh, that at least had that kind of comic effect. But, I do think this is to me one of the things um if there's anything about the action sequences that has detracted from these films uh, from the force of these films for me it 's exactly that it 's the mixture of comedy and action and i there are ways in which I like it taken on its own, but i don't really feel yeah, like exactly. it has worked well in either of these two films i'm 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 reminded of comments that jackson and some of his people made a long time ago, you know well before the release of the first film, when everyone was still wondering like what kind of movie are we going to be getting you know they 're doing the Hobbit now are they going to be true to the book? You know the book is so much different from the Lord of the Rings, and it 's so you know light and funny, and are they going to be light and funny, or is this you know or, or you know what 's going to happen and Jackson and I think boyan 's also trying to reassure people. Um, yes you know okay yes it's gonna be a big grand story, but we're gonna still try to be true to the light-hearted nature of the book as well. Right. remember when they were saying things like that yeah mm-hmm. and I can't help but feel like that was a horrible mistake <laughs> basically yeah. that yeah. especially with the first film I felt that like most of the glaring problems with the first film seemed to be... In moments where they were trying to interject light-hearted comedy, you know, I like the bunny sled and the uh, the Goblin King <laughs> sequence and the whole Goblin Goblin Town escape, you know, and it, it, leading up to the final ridiculous plunge into the chasm where nobody gets injured despite falling hundreds of feet and having you know several tons of lumber fall on you, um, and no but one you know even has a you sprain. Know-
1: you know what's different for me the lake town for the lake the lake town, the goblin town thing was was pure i mean i agree with you but it was also purely chase and and you know all that action one of the things about the barrel chase there's two things you know you, i thought of it when you were talking about legolas and staying on their heads and then kate's point about Keeley's heroism at the portcullis is the action and the slapstick kind of you forget these moments, and the moment that I suddenly flashed on when you were talking about Legolas is, that, that gets lost, is the moment when Legolas saves Thorin, and Thorin never knows it. Right. You know, because you forget that it was even there, because you remember Legolas doing acrobatics on dwarfs' heads, and, and pinning orcs, and you know, the thing with Keely at the Porcullis, too, you know, there's something to develop there. Um, I mean, I thought that moment, when I saw it the second time, and, and the moment when Legolas kills the orc and Thor never even knows that Legolas saved his life. I mean, that's kind of... That could be a pivotal moment for, right. for Legolas, even. Right, yeah. But we lose it. It gets lost, you know, and yep. everything else.
2: Yeah, I mean, I do think in that way, it's kind of... A, I, I do feel like the barrel sequence does kind of tug us in two different directions. You know, there are there's serious... Business being done in that scene—it's—it's it's, uh, you know—and it's one of the reasons why yes, I right. get I get frustrated when people because a lot of people want to point to the barrel sequences. Of course, it's a very conspicuous action, violent sequence uh, in this film. Of course, um, and you know, people who just want to dismiss it and say, "Well, obviously, that's yeah, just ridiculous." It's you know, all about what's wrong with those films. But but yes and no, as you say, I do think you know we see more uh, more complex interactions between the dwarves and the elves there so much is set up there if we just you know are sort of watching that carefully you know because you know this is they are just they've just escaped from the elves so this could be the moment in a sense should be the moment in the book it is the moment when the enmity between the elves and the dwarves is really crystallized you know, you held us in prison and we escaped despite you Um, and, you know, and so don't expect us to look with favor upon you when you come begging to our door. This is Thorin's point of view when the Thranduil shows up at the gates of the Lonely Mountain, right? Um, Whom I remember with small kindness since I had to escape from your prison where I was kept unjustly. And then at the same time uh, you know, the elves are like these were vagabond dwarves who could make no account of themselves, and now they've escaped, and so like now we have reason to think they're dodgy and especially dangerous somehow. Um, I mean, in, in the,
1: you know, in the, mo- in the movie, Thorne's going to say, "You held me in your dungeons for five minutes." <laughs>
2: right, exactly, <laughs> and I didn't enjoy any single moment in those five minutes. Um, but uh, but anyway, so so no, it, it, it's it's. Um, so so yeah but 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 again in the film what we get instead of that instead of just them escaping and like the elves like watching them go down the river or something or discovering it about it later and being like you know darn those dwarves I hate them and the uh, and the you know I mean basically instead of it being that moment we get that 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 moment of of conflict when the when the conflict has really exploded between them and it seems like violence should be breaking out in fact between the dwarves and the elves that instead right. gets diverted to the goblins in fact what Jackson has done with the barrel sequence is create a little mini preview of the battle of five armies
1: I was just going to mm-hmm. say that it's kind of setting up what's going to happen exactly. in the Battle of Five
2: arms, And, yeah. you know, I like that. And the way, you know, the whole, like, th- uh, um, uh, you know, Legolas saving Thorin's life and Thorin saving Legolas's life back and all of that happening in the heat of this battle, now instead of just having the bad feelings that they could or should be nursing after the imprisonment and the escape, now we also have that complicated by, like, and we kind of saved each other's lives and, gosh, uh, though we don't like each other and both of us are kind of stubborn, we're kind of on the same team. Team, aren't we? You know that that, that, that there was there was a richness I felt that came from that action sequence, but it does seem to be undermined by the comedy. Mm-hmm.
1: Now I do want to just step in here as the timekeeper and say we have, according to our schedule, about twenty more minutes on the topic, and I know we wanted to talk about uh, Tolkien. Oh yeah, we and also about maybe about talk that. a little about movie three. You know what we think this might mean to movie three, which actually we could probably do as part of the riddle.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, Dave.
1: We didn't really let Dave talk. No, I know we
2: didn't let Dave talk nearly <laughs> enough.
1: No, no. I got my, I
0: got my points in. <laughs> Maybe we can. Okay. Why don't we, but let's see if we can sort of tie. Um, well, let's go on to Tolkien and then see. Let's let's yeah. um, let's see if we can tie it, to, knit it all together, as opposed to just um, uh, just like well, we've run out of time.
2: <laughs> right, right. No, exactly. This well, is our challenge. We must yeah. do this. What one, one of the things with um with Tolkien in violence, I do think that sometimes when people are watching these films and saying, Gosh, those they're really violent <clears throat> are 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 far too quick to play the Tolkien is against violence card. And so uh, it's appalling that something that claims to be based on Tolkien would have so much violence in it. Um, It's not that I don't think they have a point, because I do think that they have a point, but I think that that point is generally made far too simplistically. The fact is, among people who dislike Tolkien one of the objections that they have to the Lord of the Rings is that it glorifies violence. Now, I think they're wrong, but that's one of the claims that they make. So we have to confront that fact. that right. um, that and, and not just violence, but war in general. Right. Um, and so this is something that we cannot blind our eyes to. There is quite a lot of violence in Tolkien. There is quite a lot of death in right. Tolkien. Um, and and, and yeah.
0: there are characters who celebrate it.
2: Yes, and there are characters who enjoy it. I mean, if you look at the way that they talk about killing orcs in the book, you can create, you know, a collection of 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 quotations that, you know, um, would sound kind of chilling to a pacifist. Basically, I mean, think of Aragorn to Sam saying, "Many have received worse than this in payment for the killing of their first orc." Um, you know, think of the of the you know the 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 competition that Legolas and Gimli have. You know if somebody only saw the films, they might think like, oh, you know, that's like a characteristic Peter Jackson kind of moment, right? Where they're like counting up their kills and comparing them. Yeah. That's in the book, too. You know, that's there. You know, I think of Gimli's comment, um, you know, about how tired he is before the Battle of Helm's Deep, and then says, but give me a row of necks and room to swing, and all the weariness will fall from me. Um, you know, like, that's there is there is definitely not a sort of um silence about uh you know about you know there's there's no reticence about violence as you know in general um nor uh is there a, 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 and even the kind of comedic elements of violence we do get that in the hobbit as Sharon was just reminding the origins of golf that's um that's uh, Different, right? I mean it is a little bit different. It's 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 you know, we don't get it but we do have, in fact, in the Hobbit, a comical decapitation, right? In the book. It happens. Right? So, I mean it doesn't happen like on screen where when but we're told the story, right, of a comical uh, decapitation. Um so my point is not all of the objections that people have, all the ways in which people feel that these films do not follow in the spirit of Tolkien are, are unfounded. I don't think so. I, again, I just think that we need to be a little bit more careful. We need to be a little bit more thoughtful uh, in how we do this and how we are doing the comparing and contrasting.
1: Now, as Steve Hawley points out, you know, it's much easier to just write a very clean, cleansed version of his, he hewed his head yes. versus sh- showing that visually. I mean, that is, that is true.
2: Yes, it is. It is. And, you know, and even when Tolkien is, is graphic in his description in the sense that, um, uh, you know, he tells us exactly what happened, you know, it, d- it does in a sense kind of invite us to picture um, what's mm-hmm. going on, you know, like when, when, uh, when Aragorn, for instance, cleaves the helm of the orc captain who spears Frodo right. in the fight in Moria, um. You know, so we are invited to imagine Aragorn putting his sword, you know, through his, you know, cutting this goblin's head in half. Um, yet, I agree with Steve that it is different, and part of that is just the difference in translation from a from a non visual genre to a visual genre. When you actually have to um, have to put that on screen, it has a different effect. If you if if you were to to Attempt to visually depict exactly what Tolkien said; it would necessarily be different. Um, both Brian and Scott were just saying, and I agree with them. Um, one of, whoa,
1: Is am I buzzing? Oh, yes,
2: I think it's you. Okay, yeah.
1: never mind. It was an okay. experiment. Okay, sorry.
2: Yeah, no, that was a. That was, all of a sudden, there's a very large bumblebee in the room here.
0: Electrocuting. Something.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I tried plugging in my computer, but it didn't work.
2: Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, um, so okay, uh, that both Brian and, and Scott were just talking about the reveling in gore, and I agree that's a big difference. Tolkien doesn't revel in gore. Um, uh, yes, but again, if you if you if you were doing a film version of the fight in Moria, and you were trying to, you were just using Tolkien's description as the script. Um you would have black orc blood all over the place. You'd have to show that. Um, so again, part of that is just the translation. And I, I think that, you know, I'm not saying like that that, you know, exculpates everything that Jackson does at all. Um, because you're right, Tolkien does not revel in the, the hideous visual details. And Steve Hawley makes a really good observation. Um, all you have to do is read George R, R. Martin and compare it with Tolkien's description to see yes, the difference right. between right. Uh, someone who is not shy about depicting violence and even, in a sense, glamorizing violence, and somebody who does revel in the ugliness and the gore. We get well, and that. even in if you go
1: to you know, even Jim Butcher does some, and he doesn't do anywhere near as nearest Martin does, but he certainly right. does more than, than than Tolkien does. Absolutely, so, yeah, you can absolutely. Do it in writing for sure.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, And, and it's, yeah, so, so it's, um, yeah, Scott says, yeah, no no one empties their bowels in Tolkien. Yes, yes, absolutely, Scott. There are some bodily fluids that just don't enter into the story, uh, in Tolkien. Um, yeah, yeah, um, good mitch has a good quote um that when tolkien does mention gore he makes it more powerful and he quoting from the silmarillion here thus fell the high king of the noldor and they beat him into the dust with their maces and his banner blue and silver they trod into the mire of his blood that's pretty gory right there
1: that's pretty evocative yeah
2: yeah um but but again it so so Let's actually take that, Mitch. Thanks for thanks for giving us that quotation. It's an excellent quotation. This is, of course, the death of Fingun in the near ninth uh that Mitch is describing. Um, what's the difference here? Um, pres- that has presence of gore. Right? we're actually describing the blood soaking the ground making you know the mire of his blood like the the the, the ground is so soaked with his blood that we we're, we're, we're imagining this like swampy mud of of Fingin's blood and his banner being trodden into it that's pretty graphic how is it different I, I think it is different but how is it different why does it strike us differently what is the difference can we put our fingers on the difference in the quality of how Tolkien handles violence, and even gore. I agree that he doesn't do gore as much. He doesn't take pleasure in describing the splattering of blood and the spewing of bodily fluids. Um, And that is an important difference. I think a very important difference. But but even when he does describe it, how is it different? Serena says it's tragic, not funny. I agree. I agree. Um, And Jackson often does play violence for comedy not just in the hobbit films but in the lord of the rings film too um scott was reminding me um a little while ago when i was talking about the helm's deep uh uh, keeping track of kills between Gimli and legolas thing um that bit that jackson adds which was only in the extended edition if i remember correctly uh the business about uh you know the the Dead orc twitching because his axe was in its was was in its spinal column or something. Remember that? Um, oh yeah. That's a kind of joke that Tolkien wouldn't have made. Um, you know. Uh, so again, I do think that seeing um, seeing Jackson play it for laughs in some way, but it's not like he does it all for laughs. The Lord of the Rings is certainly full, much more so than The Hobbit, um, of violence which is not comical. Um. Yeah, Noam, uh, uh, I was just thinking about that. Uh, yeah, he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Noam points out the, it's, um, uh, you know, that still counts as one when Legolas takes out the Mumok uh, in the battle. See, that I would say is different because the, it's not the, the sort of the act of violence itself which we're invited to laugh at. Gimli's comment is more like comic relief in the middle of that battle.
0: We're laughing at math.
2: (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: Laughing at accounting procedures.
2: Right, (laughs) exactly, exactly. You know, like basically, it is, it is, it is Gimli and Legolas's rivalry that we are invited to laugh at in that moment, not the actual act of violence in itself. Um.
1: Also, does the the, the, whoa,
2: whoa,
1: that was not me. I promise you, that was not me.
2: Huh. I I didn't do anything.
1: Um, how the, the description of the scene when the uh, witch king is killed I, I don't I've been looking for it and I don't have it with me but is that is that described gosh that's I swear that's not me
2: <laughs> okay stop
1: um, when the witch king is killed I can't remember i don't have I, could, I don't have it to hand so I can't look it up um, is that graphically depicted I can't remember
2: the witch king's death itself?
1: Or actually, well, the, the killing of Theoden, and then the witch king, and then uh, Eowyn, yeah, smiting the, the
2: Cer- Certainly, Theoden's death isn't. I mean, you know, he mentions his body being broken, but, you know, we, we never really hear, like, what injuries he has sustained, exactly. Um, we just know that he's been crushed under his horse. Um, and I
1: remember, didn't, didn't the claws of the creature get, dig into the horse?
2: Yes, yes, so they I, do. I would remember that. <laughs> yes, you, yes, you would. Uh, uh, yeah, um... Yeah, when
1: she—I can't remember if when she kills them if it's graphically depicted. Anyway, I just—that was one scene that I was thinking might have, might have been more violent in its description.
2: One of the more um, sort of explicit. Violent um, moments in that scene actually is when Mary stabs him, right? You know, like That's that, right. The that, sinew, yes, yeah. the sinews behind his mighty knee, um, right. Are 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 you know gives us a pretty graphic image of of you know inviting us to imagine, um, you know, a blade stabbing into somebody's leg, um, right? Uh, yeah, and I, I yeah I'd like uh, Scott, I also find. Um, the adjective mighty applied to knee has always made me happy. I I, I can't really explain why. But anyway, um, Erica Smith asks an excellent question. Could I draw a comparison between Tolkien's description of violence and descriptions of violence in medieval literature like the Song of Roland? Yeah. um, Medieval descriptions of violence uh, are very graphic. Um, You get people chopped up all the time. Um, In Arthurian stories you know you're likely to find out like it, when lancelot rears back and hews somebody with his sword you're likely to get a description of exactly how far down the body the torso his blade travels before it stops um <laughs> you know it's it is sometimes cartoonish but it is often not um so uh so yeah it's it's it there is there is a lot of um, uh, very graphic description of violence that that seems to get reveled in. I mean, it's it almost sounds like you know a blo- I always kind of get the impression in some medieval literature that it's kind of obvious. It's different from modern literature about hand to hand combat and i think one of the main differences is because it's written in an era in which people still do this you know so i mean it's 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 like it's like it's more like hearing a football player describe a football game play by play you know I, I, that that um they would have related to this a lot more more of the people who were listening to this would have done this um you know, it's it's something that they can directly relate to. When you're reading a modern fantasy book which describes, you know, swords and battle-axe warfare, um, you're distant from it, you know. And, and you know, you can kind of choose as a writer how you approach that. Um, but you're not going to get the same kind of... Um, um, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like there are some things, especially in... And I'm thinking here of Sir Thomas Mowry in particular. Sir Thomas Mowry was a knight. I mean, he he did jousting. You know, he has fought with lance and sword against other people, um, both in tournament and in war. And um, so when he's describing knightly combat, um, he's not, not describing something he doesn't know about. Um, but he clearly really likes it, you know, and he... Um, uh, and and there's there's a kind of professionalism to it i don't know um but um
1: um you, we you and i talked about before we started about um tolkien's alternate version of this wasn't uh ratliff talks about you know the idea that he had at one point of bilbo killing the dragon and then bilbo gets annealed in the dragon's blood yes that's that's a fairly mythological or medieval yes. thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that goes back to that goes back to Fafnir and Sigurd. Um, but yeah, I mean, true. At, um, uh, Bilbo being completely coated in the blood of Smaug and in fact washed out of um, the the treasure chamber on the tide of Smaug's blood was Tolkien's plan A for how the death of Smaug <laughs> was going to come about. Um, yeah, and Sharon is Reminding us not to forget Grendel's arm uh, wrenched off and then hung up on the wall oh, right. as a trophy. Um, That's right. That was quite. That was quite. Um, that was quite possible. Now Brian was asking if they if there was the same kind of impulse towards slapstick and violence. You know, not always, but sometimes. That is not exactly slapstick, but people would joke. I mean, they, they had a pretty robust sense of humor about this kind of thing. I mean. Uh, um, People did make... I mean, sometimes characters in medieval epics do make kind of macabre jokes after they strike the death blow against somebody. Um, This happens in Homer. Um, You know, like, when somebody takes a spear through the back of the head and the spearhead comes out the front of their mouth and their teeth clamp down upon the spearhead that has just killed them and they fall over, their opponent is quite likely to make a joke about, like, oh, he really choked on that one. Like, oh, you know, he... I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they frequently, they frequently will do that kind of thing, um, you know, that make really macabre jokes at the expense of the corpse that they're just looking at. Um, so, so, but, but again, that, that's different. The spirit of that, I think, is different from violence being comedic in and of itself. Um, that seems to me much more of a modern thing, of a movie thing, frankly, where the violence is all fake um and uh, I mean, you know, to give one extreme example of this, um, my wife, who uh, is a medical person and really dislikes watching scenes of people getting physically damaged on screen, um, she does not like to invest her imagination in that particular kind of sequence. Can't ever understand why I crack up hysterically when I'm watching a Jackie Chan action scene, for instance. I think that Jackie Chan action scenes are absolutely hilarious, and I am just like. Laughing, side-splitting laughing when I am watching a Jackie Chan martial arts sequence because his choreography is hysterical. Um, but again, that whole approach to violence—that's not a medieval approach to violence—to right. um, to invite us to laugh at it in that way. Um, and I do think that Jackson goes there, and Tolkien doesn't. I, I, I can't think of any time when uh, when um, when action is funny. The kind of comedy which. Invites you to laugh at an a a dead opponent. um, That's just an attitude thing, you know. That's just like it's 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 the kind of attitude, you know, that that you can still see, you know, again in. In football, when somebody gives somebody a big hit and then wants to taunt them afterwards, and usually get a flag for it these days, but uh, but th- that's that same attitude, you know, that like you know, I told you not to mess with me kind of attitude. That's exactly the kind of thing that we get in um, in in Homer, basically. Um, but anyway. Um, it's,
1: time to, it's time to wrap up and yeah. segue to the riddle. Yeah, mean, I think Dave's Dave's got a good point in the sense that we just don't want to like, shift gears suddenly. But, no, um, we
2: don't.
0: I, th- I, don't. I think you made some really good a, points here. We, I have mean, a I, you... to, we have a tendency to do that.
2: Yeah, um, yes, exactly. Well, 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 let me just say, for, yeah. for me, you've
1: given me some really good food, food for thought with regard to my view of the action and violence i mean i think as a result of our conversation today i i want to go back and really think more thoroughly about those scenes and really you know look and see like even the point you made about the you know the, the the drop into the the mine shaft you know i mean i i will be looking with new eyes at this stuff because as you say you know there's some stuff there that is um depends on the taste of the viewer and then there's also stuff there that um is story you know it's like how how else would you have developed or shown this side of the character without that being there kind of thing so i need to really go back and think about
2: that yeah it is really difficult it is really difficult um uh yeah yeah um and, and i wanted to uh um to Give this, uh, you know, Steve. I've been meaning to come back to your comment for oh, like an hour now, um, uh, so I will before we leave it. Um, Steve, Holly was making the comment. Steve is uh, is a combat veteran himself, uh, and was saying that he actually he finds it interesting how how non explicit Tolkien's depiction of you know, how non gory and explicit his depiction of violence tends to be, um, and that you know his his his. Sense of this, you know, he, he said that his his opinion is that uh, you know he, he says that his preference is not to see uh, modern realistic portrayals of violence in movies, as he's gotten his fill of that in his real life. And his opinion is that Tolkien might have felt the same and has th- thus chose to depict combat uh, in more romantic terms. Um, and you know, I think that there's something. It's one of the paradoxes, I think, you know, and it's something that I always immediately think of when I hear Tolkien. Uh, uh, unfriends, unfans who uh, who say that he's just glamorizing violence and, and 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 often I've heard people who know nothing about Tolkien call his depiction of war naive. Like this is such a naive romantic depiction of war. War isn't really like that. Well, of course Tolkien knew exactly what war was really like, far better than most of the people who make that criticism, of course. Um, he was in the trenches. He would have you know there was that none of this was a mystery to him. He knew what real war was like, and yet made the choice to depict war in the way that he did. Both the choice not to shy away from the violence, but also to handle it, uh, in a particular way. And sort of thinking, going back to going back to uh, the passage that Mitch was reminding us of, which was such an apt quotation, um, of the, the, the really gruesome um, death of Fingen and, uh, and the mutilation of his corpse after death, um, that is tra- it's awful. It's awful, it's awful, like, for instance, the Hill of the Slain, especially when in the Unfinished Tales version of Turin and in the, um, Children of Hurin, where we get where Morgoth takes Hurin, and he is standing on top of the pile of the corpses of his countrymen. Right, mm-hmm. that's awful. I mean, it's that's that that is not pulling any punches in the yeah. depiction of of violence and and uh, and you know the horrors of war. But it is what it doesn't do, I think. Is glamorize that violence in itself? Glamorize that that the ugliness of that to make it anything less than ugly. It's powerful. It's terrible. But it's tragic, and that's uh, that's to me anyway the overwhelming effect of it.
1: Serena makes a point, um, which thank heavens she reminded me, um, about uh, the degree to which the viewer, the reader, is in empathy, is in identifying with the characters, can, yes. can shift their perception of the violence. Yes. Also. Um, which, you know, and, and maybe that's one of the thing. maybe that's one of the reasons we see sort of so the slapstick and the silliness in with the violence, is to sort of maybe stave that off a bit, that we don't get so, right. you know,
2: And I think you know, going back to like the way in which the barrel sequence, for instance, pushes us in two different directions, which I feel are contradictory. um, I do agree that like the whole bomber barrel sequence does push us back. Right. You know, exactly. We're we're no longer right with you know. I, 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 you know, he's not like a real person at that point when he does that. (laughs) It's funny. I mean, I laughed out loud in the theater when I saw that sequence. Uh, And and actually, for a kind of similar reason to why I laugh out loud at Jackie Chan sequences, (laughs) but um, but it's not, but it's different. You know, you can't have, you can't really do both. You can't um, have the kind of impact that Fingon's death has when I read it, and. have me laughing like I'm laughing at the bomber barrel sequence. Um, so I I I think the way in which our own um, our own if we think of it in terms as distance or closeness, there are ways in which that the barrel ride sequence gives us a bit of whiplash as we're being pulled close and pushed back, you know, right. sort of back and forth at the same time, um, and um, so yeah, I I I, I do think. Um, I do think that that's uh, um, it's something that is uneven in that scene and that and, and that I think doesn't is one of the reasons that that scene is I think perhaps not as, as successful as it could otherwise okay, here, be. Okay, here's an
1: example of that Brian Fadrini, I'm going to be just so irreverent, you're going to just hate me he makes a really good point, Fingen's death emphasizes the wanton nature of the completeness with which his body was broken, the only problem is that Brian wrote instead of wanton he wrote wanton <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so I want to laugh when I read that. It's a very good point, but I just assume right. when I read the no, wonton I, I
2: I agree. See, it's that same effect of pulling us close and 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 know, pushing us back at the same time. No, exactly. Yeah, no. I, I agree. It is, it, is, it is emphasizing that. But, you know, here, here's one last thing that I would say in, compar- in, in, the, in the comparison. The one last qualification I would make for the people who want to say that the way that the films revel in violence is very unlike Tolkien. I agree in general, but we have to be careful. Don't forget, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the way in which many of Tolkien's characters do, in fact, revel in violence against orcs. Against wicked people, there is in fact a pleasure in violence against the wicked. That happens in Tolkien. It's a part of. It's a big part of Gimli's character. We see it in Aragorn too. We see it even at times in Sam. Um, it happens, and I don't think we like that. I think that we. I. I. I it is a way in which I think Tolkien is not in step with our current culture. We're not comfortable with violence in that. At least we don't like to believe that we are. We don't like to say that we are. If we do enjoy violence and violent films, we might call it a guilty pleasure. We might feel guilty about it. Um, But you don't hear very many people advocating delight in violence under any circumstances these days. But people in The Lord of the Rings do that. Um, So, you know, if we say... You know, gosh, the you know the way that uh, you know Legolas kills lots of orcs, and that the dwarves seem to enjoy it is uncomfortable. You know that is not without precedent at all in uh, in 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 Tolkien. So I think we have to you know, be careful. You have
1: just handed me the best opportunity for a segue.
2: Excellent. Let's do it.
1: Let's do it. So I'm going to introduce the rule because I think on the heels of what you just said, I think my opinion is that Azog's death in movie three is going to be a great source of enjoyment for the audience because mm. he's such a bad guy. And, you know, I mean, we know he's got to die first of all, and, but how he's going to die and who's going to kill him is really the, what our riddles about today. Right. So that's my introduction. Now Okay. Move
2: on. All right, good. So we do need to think about thinking forward to film three. Yeah. Our question is going to be who kills Azog. Um, and this is uh the Battle of Five Armies, of course, is is the obvious, um... the most obvious sort of locus of action and violence in, uh, in film three. And, uh... You know there are lots of things that we can think about. That's going to be to me a really fascinating scene. That is what I'm going to be most interested to see. Is are they going to go in the same direction? Are we going to get yeah. pushed and pulled in the same way? Because if anywhere, right. the Battle of Five Armies should be where we leave comedy. Please let us leave comedy aside. And and the, uh, this, it, I think it it could be it should be a tragic scene. Right. Um, and uh, I. Um, I think that it will be fascinating to see <clears throat> if they choose to... depart. Because if <clears throat> if their kind of own internal justification of the um, lighthearted tone that they are interjecting, and which it seems to me primarily in the combat sequences, um, if their justification for that is following the lighthearted tone of the book, well, the book ceases to be lighthearted at that point are they too going to shift and cease to be lighthearted? And if so, when? You know, at one point in book three, is that going to happen? So I will be very interested to see that. Um... uh, yeah, Steve says it should be a desperate struggle with a bittersweet victory. I agree. Um and I'll be fascinated to see how closely they stick to that kind of uh to that kind of an idea. Um
1: Well and you know, Jackson's capable of that. I mean Pellinar Fields was not there was not a whole lot of slapstick in that. And for right. sure the the battle before the gates of Mordor, you know, was was pretty serious. So he, we know he we know he has it in him.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, so that that will be that will be very interesting. There will be other. Um, I mean, I'm going to be really interested to see how how much other. Let's stop thinking about violence for a second and think back to action. Um, where are places? Do you guys have any thoughts as to where you think Jackson is most likely to add action sequences?
1: In movie three?
2: Yeah, in movie three. I mean, the, the the biggest, most glaring example, of course, in film two was the whole dragon chase thing, right? Um, where he has yeah. added in a dra- an action sequence that is not in the plot of the book.
0: The parlay during the siege.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and you, and you know, I, I'm a little concerned that he may make that the Battle of Three Armies, you know what I mean? It's like he may actually have there be some, sword, some swords ringing amongst the yes. three before the orcs show up.
0: Yeah. Yes, it, it seems it seems far too tempting to go a little bit further than Tolkien does. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yep, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think is I don't think in and of itself that's not an indictment of um, no of Peter Jackson, nor is it a complaint, nor is it a foreboding like oh God, he's going to do this. It's just an observation. I don't I don't know whether yeah. it'll be good or not.
2: Yeah, yeah. Serena says specifically an action sequence added before or during the handover of the Arkenstone. Yeah, it seems to me that the time um, between which the Thorin and the dwarves fortify themselves in the Lonely Mountain and the army of Thranduil and the Lake Men show up, um, you know, from that point through to the Battle of Three Slash Five Armies. Um, that seems to be the place where it's hard for me to imagine we're not going to get some more action at some point.
1: Plus, even before we get to the mountains, several people have mentioned springing Bard from jail and getting him into position to to you know let loose the Black Arrow is got to be it's got to be action. That's got to be a major action scene.
2: Yeah, and and there's still the question of what about Keeley and and right uh, Ori and uh, what's his name Beaufort. Bofur. Bofur. Bofur? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that. are they going to get into the mountain? And if so, how's that going to be contrived? Um, is there going to be some kind of... And, and, and I would also point out, if we go back to the manuscripts again, there was an action sequence in uh, one of Tolkien's earlier drafts of this. Um, before the armies came in, Feely and Kili were sent out to find the ponies. And they were right. they were found and attacked by the elves and Feely I think was wounded. Um, they made it back into the mountain, but there. But Tolkien actually had he didn't write it out. It was only in his plot notes, um, but he had pointed to an action sequence there. Um, so I, I could imagine that kind of thing happening where some of the dwarves come out. Maybe maybe we have Bofur and and uh, and Kiwi and uh, Ori. Um, you know, being taken in or meeting up with people or something—I don't know.
1: Well, and as Yana points out, one of them, one of the twins, might even get off to, during the dragon attack on Lake Town.
2: It's possible. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, uh, could we imagine Kiwi dying there? We. Um, uh. oui. uh,
1: the other thought I had is that they end up being held as hostages, like the Master of Lake Town holds them as hostages when they when they start the siege.
2: Yeah, possibly, possibly, but. um but yeah but you know how would that translate to an i mean maybe yeah, we have them being know. held as hostages and then like them getting rescued um yeah something like that you know, know. maybe even maybe, maybe this or is a bilbo escape. action sequence uh, you know that mm. the burglar is going to be sent to 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 bust them free i don't know
1: or he on or he on his own takes the Ark of Stone and uses that as uh, the ransom to spring the hostages
2: um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um,
1: Harkin ball <laughs> Kevin.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, 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 but that is where I think we're, that. that would be my vote, too, for where we're most likely to see more stuff. Certainly, we're going to get obviously the action sequence leading up to the uh, the death of the dragon. That's that's a well attested action sequence, of course. Um, But how about afterwards? After the Battle of Five Arms. Yeah. Ah, thank you. Alyssa is reminding me that in the plot outline, in the early plot outline that I'm referring to, Feely is not only wounded, but captured. I had forgotten that. He's not only wounded, but he's also captured and held hostage. So there is a kind of precedent for that that kind of hostage scene. Thanks, Alyssa, for reminding me about that. I should say correcting me more accurately. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Serena is thinking maybe Bilbo will have all kinds of trouble on the way home. I'm going to be fascinated to see how they handle that. I mean, we're going to do a whole episode on the journey home later. So we don't have to talk about this too much, but just thinking about it, um, you know, in the, in this context of, 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 of action sequences, you know, there's certainly a lot that could happen, but, um, but gosh,
1: think of return of the King though. I mean, once yeah. the, once the ring was destroyed, there was really not, you know, no action from that point to the, all three endings of the movie. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, are we going to get a kind of, you know, one cutscene to another like we did, or are, are we going to get any um, journey home? You know, when is the end? Well, you know, this is, you know, we'll talk about these no, issues we'll about more later, more yeah. broadly in, in, in other episodes True. later on. But, um, but I think thinking of it from an action standpoint, it will be interesting because, of course, one could say um, sort of watching Bilbo handle himself on his journey home would, could be taken especially if it's in a familiar location um, could be sort of an interesting counterpoint to his trip out yeah. but um anyway um back to the battle of five armies itself um what um what do we think about azog
1: do we want to talk do we want to present the
2: choices oh yeah okay let's go ahead and present the choices okay azog
1: who will kill Azog? Who
2: will kill Azog? Our options. We uh, tried to fit this into our traditional uh, format, but we couldn't because there are too many possibilities. <laughs> too many
1: choices. So
2: we we had to. We there,
1: consolidated as much as we could. But. There are
2: actually six option. Um, option A. Uh, Dan, yeah, Yana, exactly as Yana is thinking. Yana says, "Killed by Dan at the doorstep of Erebor. Exactly, that's right. just what we we're thinking. Um, it's this is the pseudo book answer because, of course, Azog is nowhere in the Hobbit plot, but he is. Azog is in fact killed by Dan uh, on the threshold of Moria. So, um, so the book answer A is Dan. <coughs> Dan kills him. He'll die on a doorstep. (laughs) Some doorstep (laughs) at some point. But by by day, that's the important thing. Um, The second is Bjorn. So Bjorn busts in in werebear shape and takes him out in the battle. Um, Third is, and this is one of our consolidated answers, somebody in... Thorin's company. So, Thorin, one of the other companions, or Bilbo. Any of them. Uh, if you think it's going to be Bilbo, Thorin, or any of the other uh, dwarves in the company, uh, that is option C. Option D is any member of the White Council. So, if you think that Gandalf does it, or somebody else related to the... Which also
1: know. gives rise to the question of whether Azog actually makes it <coughs> the Battle of Flammar. He could exactly. buy the
2: farm. If if he gets yeah if 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 he gets capped at Dal Guldur by Gandalf or Galadriel or somebody, then it is possible that uh, you know. But anyway, that would still fall into option D. Um, uh, option E. Wait, who was option E again?
1: Option E is a combination of two or more of the above. Oh, yes, option, option... Because of the fact that it could be a collaborative effort, you know, it's going to be, it would be hard to call, so we've added this one as being a combination of any of the above.
2: Yes, a combination of any of the above, and then option E is none of the above. Somebody else F, entirely. F is, F is
1: none F. of the above.
2: F is none of the above, yeah. So, um, I, I know Serena's complaining about Thorin not getting his own answer choice. I know, yeah, but we didn't want 7.
1: I originally did have thorns. Yeah, so I mean choices. that's There's got to be too
2: many choices. Exactly. We we're trying to uh we're trying to cuz we do want to leave open the uh I think somebody was joking about this earlier on but I missed it. Um uh about multiple people killing Azog. Right. Um yeah, I can uh And um,
1: that is a possibility.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's I'm not like I think we're going to get murder on the Orient Express or something like that. Sitting
0: <laughs> around hacking his body into the dust.
2: Exactly, yeah, with maces, right.
1: yeah. With uh, uh, So, anybody that wants to vote for Thorin, that's C, a member of the company, including Thorin. Um, if it's Thryan, Stephen Schoenwolf, that would be a none of the above answer.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> that would be definitely none of the above. <clears throat> um. Yeah, uh, Ryan Crumley points out that an, uh, an example of E that is of more than one person killing him would be uh, Gothmog in the Return of the King, um, uh, right. which is right. Yeah, um, he gets killed by multiple people. Or um, actually, I
1: guess the Witch King
2: too would be. An Eon, yeah, yeah, sure. You could. I mean, if you want to, if you want to really give Mary the assist there, you could say that that was Mary and Eowyn who killed the Witch King. So. Um, So these are the kinds of reasons that we're, we're wanting to keep that option open. Okay, so the options again are A. Dan B. Bjorn C. Thorin, Bilbo, or one of the other dwarves D. Gandalf or somebody else in the White Council E. Some combination And F. None of the above Somebody completely different.
0: It's kind of funny because because an argument could be made that uh, that Bjorn is also a book answer of sorts exactly. in the sense that yes, exactly. Bjorn That's why he kills the leader that yeah
2: yeah yeah exactly I, man
0: I I really have no idea
1: <laughs> when, I, when I was first writing this riddle I kept writing I kept writing Volk, and I had to go back and put A's on <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. right it's
0: it's really hard to say because. Um, yeah, because he's going to be, the, probably, there's going to be some kind of dust up at, at Dol Goldor. Uh, he could very well die there. Um, right, and then I if know. he gets to the Battle of Five Armies, there's, there's a, a lot of people that have a claim on him. You know, it's interesting, the one, the one uh, group of people that we haven't included in this, really, is, um, you know... Uh, the Elves. The Elves, They yeah. or Legolas. But but they've basically, that's, I mean, logically, they've kind of set up Bolg to die by Legolas, not
2: Right, not because Asper. they have they the... Really have no
1: yeah, yeah, that's
2: and, true. The initial tussle. You bloodied
1: my nose! <laughs>
2: that's right, yeah. 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 I lost several drops of blood due to you. I will never forgive you. I'm going to hunt See, you down I on think, the battlefield.
1: I personally think it's a very good, you know, it's a... Is he gonna actually make it to the Battle of Five Armies? I could totally see Jackson's returning to the book by having Azog not be at the Battle of Five Armies and having Azog be killed at Dal I think that's totally believable. I mean, in terms of you know, I could see that happening within the story. Um, because now he's the captain of Dal Guldur and he sent his son on to the to Erebor. Um but so that's so I have to decide if that's what I think is gonna happen and if it is its isn't five armies I think it's going to be dying but I can't decide between A and B now
2: <laughs> Yeah I'm
0: <laughs> there would be something there would be something somewhat amusing by by asog uh, getting picked off on his way to the battle five armies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially yeah. if they have one of those ignomious deaths where he's getting he's riding in and just an arrow comes out of nowhere and just hits him
2: yeah i guess it could be worse you know he just like comes down with a bad case of dysentery in camp and dies <laughs> in bed <dead>, you know <laughs> <laughs> if we want to go hyper realistic you know that could totally happen
1: are there are there's stuff. that famous anglo-saxon king that Yeah, it's true supposedly he's like supposed to be like my great 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 some odd Grandfather, if Ancestry.com is supposed to be believed, where he cuts his his, uh, his adversary's head off and ties it to his saddle, and it ends up the sa- the head ends up like cutting into his leg, and he dies of sepsis. There
2: you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean that supposedly sepsis really just from a self inflicted wound. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> now these would all be examples of F uh, those the, the, those yes. would all count as as, as F answers uh, uh, to the yeah um, well okay I am doubtful of a I have to say um, because I don't think that Dan basically I don't think that there's enough, It's going to seem like too much of a letdown because Dan is going to be in film three, but he's going to be nobody. I mean, he's Johnny Come Lately to this story, and um, especially given that I think that there's a certain amount of tension that they've even created there, because the dwarves of the Iron Hills who um, who are now going to come in, um, presumably are you know were like. I mean Thorin couldn't get any help at the beginning, right? All the dwarves said no, they wouldn't come.
0: Yeah, so these if, guys are going to look kind of like jerks.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, what are they like?
0: He as soon as as soon as Thorin did all of the hard work and got the, the money.
2: Exactly. We'll try,
0: oh, we'll hey. We're here to fulfill our oath.
2: Yeah, there's a bit of bandwagon jumping, it kind of seems like. So, so I mean, I'll be interested to see how they handle that. But anyway, I, it's hard for me to imagine Dan's killing Azog as something that would be sort of dramatically satisfying on screen. So I don't think that. Bjorn, you know, there's definitely something to be said there. Bjorn's we I mean we know that Bjorn's intervention has got to be spectacular. I mean heck it was spectacular in the book, though it didn't happen off stage. Um But I'm not sure it's personal enough, maybe. I mean, we did get that personal thing. You know, you remember that riddle I guessed correctly, uh last year, um about how there's a per, you know personal family history there for Bjorn. Um and so, you know, he's got something. It's not like you know, it would, it would be totally unsatisfying or anticlimactic if that happened. But, um, uh, but it, it is a little, I mean, the Thorin story has been really built up. I guess to me, the question really has to be, is there a reason for it not to be Thorin? Right. I mean, obviously the confrontation between Thorin and Azog <clears throat> has been, um, uh, has been, uh, uh you know, central from the beginning in film one, you know, from the Battle of Azanul Bazar up through the, out of the frying pan into the fire um, and it's the most obvious culmination of that story. Now, maybe that's an argument against it um, but I don't know. Mm
1: you are right I mean it's, we were talking about Diane it's true you know the thorn thing has been built up from yeah the very beginning and I mean as a as an a person in the audience I think that would give me the most relief <laughs> yeah it,
0: yeah enjoyment it, it seems like if you had Diane or Bayorn right. um, kill kill him it, which you would be—that would be something that would be relying upon people having being familiar with not just the book but with all the right. various, you know, appendices and stuff. Whereas, if we go by if we go by what's been dramatically set up on screen, it really it, it there's no real logical solution other than for Thorin to kill him, uh, or, or sort of if you think about what other sorts of things might they do, you could imagine sort of a. Um, because you know they did, they do set up in the in the Lord of the Rings films, following along with Tolkien, they do set up sort of a confrontation between Gandalf and the Witch King, and then it turns out a different character kills them. But right. so you could imagine somebody else coming in, but it, it should be, but it should be somebody we're we're emotionally invested in. So like, right, somebody, some other member of the company, like a Feely or Keeley, saving Thorne from being killed, or even by Bilbo, Aon, or Bilbo, yeah, or or a member of the White Council. Um, they get sort of a. You know, they get kind of like a pass to kill whoever they want. <laughs> <So.
2: laughs> you could argue. You, you 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 could argue that out of the frying pan sequence, that the out of the frying pan sequence does anticipate that. Where Bilbo comes in and saves Thorin. You know, that could right, potentially right. be foreshadowing to, yeah. to Bilbo coming in and yeah. killing Azog.
1: Or it could be an Aowen Mary kind of a thing where Thorin and Bilbo together end up doing it.
2: right. Right. I like the idea of Feely and Keeley. Kate Neville was just suggesting this too. Um, uh, that, uh, that maybe, maybe Feely and Keeley do, um, yeah, now, Kevin has an interesting theory. Um, Kevin Ophis says, as far as Thorin is concerned, he already killed Azog. He always believed it and he'd moved on from it until he learned he was still alive. Um, I think Thorin killing him again, uh, this time for real would undermine an important bit of character growth. And he adds, Thorin not needing to kill Azog would show that he had, in the end, broken the cycle of vengeance plaguing his family since they were driven out of Erebor. Um, yeah. Okay, that's actually a really interesting sequence, Kevin. Okay, so I'm, I'm picturing it here. You've got the climactic duel between Thorin and Azog, and Thorin wins. There is Azog at Thorin's mercy. So Thorin has beaten him um, and wounded him, uh, but Thorin won't finish him. Like, you know, he's there. He needs to execute him there on the battlefield, and he doesn't. He turns and walks away. And then, like, Azog, of course, gets up to stab him in the back, and, like, Bilbo stabs him and kills him. Uh, or somebody you know, to happen. protect Thorin's back, huh? That could, yeah, that or could a, do
0: a do giant it. rock comes flying out of nowhere <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, or
1: or, or a raven claws his eyes <laughs> out,
2: right? Exactly, or exactly. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah. that
0: would actually or the he a bad retain. case of sepsis.
2: That's right. That's <laughs> just when the fever convulses him from the sepsis that has been developing in that his system. Arm. Yeah, it is arm. Yeah, goodness, boy. If anyone was going to get sepsis, you'd think it would be Azog, right? <laughs> <laughs> that thing does not look sanitary. I'm sorry. The eagles. Yeah, yeah. An eagle swoops down and gets. Still
1: see the eagles.
2: Right. Well, unless it's the combo... Now, actually, Yana had asked this question before. What if more than one member of the company combined to kill him? Does that make it the answer E? I think it would. Oh. I think, like, if Bilbo and Thorin oh, combined would, to kill him, it would have well, to be E.
1: I was e. going to change C and D to be a member or members of the company.
2: Oh, I see. No, let's no, 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 no. Let's, let's, you don't want to do that? Okay. L- let's keep it singular. Let's keep it singular. Okay. So right. if, if you are guessing C, that means you think there is one single one member of the company who is going to off Azog single-handedly. Um, and if you think that like Thorin and Bilbo team up, or that Feely and Keeley team up, or that Keeley and Thorin team up, then that answer is E.
1: But now in the scenario that you just gave, it still would be C because Bilbo dealt the death blow, right? No,
2: it'd be E. Because Thorin beat him, Thorin wounded him and and like disarmed oh, God, him and God, stuff. God, God. So yeah, no, that, I, I I would say I would say that that would make it. A t- yeah. Of course,
1: we have our crowdsourced. You know, the crowdsourced judgment will be the one that wins the day at the end of the year. But
2: right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Okay.
0: Yeah, okay. we'll see.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure it will. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I can hear him rub his hands from here.
2: <laughs> okay okay let's see Uh, Alyssa says what what if it's Toriel plus Kiwi Um, is that E or F Uh, well of course Toriel would be an F but I would say oh gosh Alyssa that's a really good point Um,
0: what if if they've constructed a giant Rube Goldberg type machine that, that sort of like you know someone shoots an arrow and it bounces off somebody's sword And come on people
1: I think it has to be an F. I think that question has to be if it's Toriel and Keila. Yeah, which, I mean, I gotta say, when I was constructing the answers, I mean, there were a lot more possibilities. Yeah, there are, like, there are quite a few you start possibilities. To reach sort of this lack of probability, you know, with some of them. So um, that's why none of them have had to show up.
0: Yeah, I think. Uh, can we say? Can we say if anything happens that involves elves, it automatically it's an F. It. It's
2: F. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's uh Okay, yeah, so so E E is simply any combination of characters listed in, in in A through D. Right. And F means none of the above. So yeah, so if even in combination, um you know, one of the elves or, you know, one of the one of the D. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right, okay. Right. So to repeat, so we're gonna put the poll up. Actually, can you? Yeah, why, why, why don't you yeah and actually, poll?
1: Um, let's just so we, we. I only got five. I only had five slots for the poll, so that none of the above is not going to be showing up. I think the only thing to do there is just don't vote if you think it's F.
2: Or you, you can vote in the you you can vote in the in the in the in the in the comments in the questions box. You can vote F if you want to vote F. Let's see, so is
1: it showing up, it is showing yep. up isn't it?
2: Yeah, yep, mm-hmm. it is. <coughs> okay. Um, so they're the are the options. Oh, we Yeah, we, yeah, we haven't voted, have we? Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's we're being here.
1: Influenced by the crowd? Well, no, actually, no. The one the answer I was going to give is actually, I mean, I I give the same answer now anyway. So. All right. So what do you say, Corey? E. E. Okay. Cool.
2: Absolutely. Can, e. who do you think Can you
0: elaborate be? what combination you expect?
2: I am not obligated to. <laughs> <laughs> the terms of the riddle do not specify that I have to say what two characters I believe will combine um, no th- that just seems right to me I I, I, I suspect um, and in part I, I think Kevin has kind of won me over I what I was saying before and I still believe is that I would have to um I would have to have a reason to believe that it's not Thorin. Like the, the most logical plot resolution of the Azog story is for Thorin, he and Thorin to fight in the Battle of Five Armies and Thorin to kill him, probably receiving a mortal wound at the same time that he does. Um, that would seem to be the most logical outcome and may well be the one that happens. But... Um, I do like the... uh, the, But there are a couple things. First of all, um, what influences me to say E instead of C is that I think that, although that is the most logical single story, that story has been interwoven with a whole bunch of other themes, one of which is that, you know, it's not just your private vengeance. This is not just you against Azog. Um, There's much more to it than this. And the whole, like faithfulness and standing by each other, not to mention the fact that we've got to heal, and I think it's going to take more than just the deathbed scene in the film to heal the breach between Bilbo and Thorin. And a battlefield reconciliation followed by a uh, a tear-jerking deathbed scene seems to me to be um, even more likely, frankly. Um, so... If I had, if I were compelled to, which I am not, but if I were compelled to say what two, I would say Thorin and Bilbo um, combine, um, and that basically Bilbo is going to Bilbo is going to save Thorin's life dramatically during the Battle of Five Armies, and that that is going to lead to their personal reconciliation after the descendant of Rats' debacle, and. Um, so, and I suspect that it's going to be uh, combined with the fact that I don't think in the end that Thorin finally succeeding in taking vengeance for his grandfather is actually the plot that is likeliest to, um, I don't think that's the real outcome of the story that they're going to want in the end. So, E.
1: What about you, Dave? Hey,
2: we got no uh, takers for Gandalf at all. Nobody thinks that Gandalf or a member of the White Council Gladwell, is going to take out Azog. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm I, I was, with C. Uh, what are you going with? I'm going with C. going with C? So, so am I. Can I also point and out... I going to do that before the majority rules.
2: Well, I, majority. Can I point out that only 35% of people attending yes, committed themselves? True.
1: Does that mean 65% think it's none of the above?
2: Uh... <laughs> some people think it's uh, none of the above, but right. I think some people are chickening out. That's what I think. I think, I think. Oh, uh, well,
1: Stephen Shonhoff's going with D. I guess he. I didn't give him a chance to vote before I closed it.
2: Okay, okay. Um, so yes, Sander, C is a solo member and not multiple members. So uh, I am saying I think that Bilbo and Thorin are gonna are gonna combine on it. So that's my E answer. Um, C is only, would be Bilbo or Thorin, or one of the other dwarves on their own, which means, if you're imagining a Keely and Feely tag team, that's E. That's not C. Okay. And we do uh, have 12% who... Go that I think all the people, people that did. I think the people. I think the people
0: who again. didn't commit themselves all believe, um, across the board, that Legolas is going to kill everyone in the battle.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the good news is, is your vote here is not <coughs> binding, so
2: you Yes. These are vote. not binding votes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but if you
0: change your vote, we'll remember you <laughs> and Hold it against you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, who
1: knows? I mean, I may even change my vote after I see the trailers and stuff. Well, except if the rebel game's still open.
2: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see when they fall. But um, I'm
0: i so I'm just going to reiterate my commitment to answer C. I I um I have a, I apply exactly the same line of logic that you did, Corey, which is I need a very good reason uh-huh. to, for 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 it to be someone other than Thorin, and I just I don't see that reason at this. Point.
2: Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, I think I just think I I. I just think that the interpersonal stories and that Thorin's character arc has basically been complicated beyond that. No, I think that the I'm going to
1: lose my. You guys might lose me, by the way. So if you ask me a question and I'm not here, it's because my computer ran out of
2: juice. Oh, I see. Well, we should go anyway. Actually, we're uh, we're over time by a little bit now, um, but uh, but anyway, that's good. So we got through our riddle. Um, yeah. yeah, and one one thing that I want to I want uh, to one sort of last um, reflection that I want to give here. Um, You may notice that we are not generally very good at drawing very firm conclusions about these things. If you look back, you will see we didn't really draw any conclusions about the similarities and differences between violence in the books and violence in the films. And I'm actually perfectly fine with that in this venue. Um, My hope is that, you know... I wouldn't want people to be thinking about this podcast as the place where you come for answers to all of these things, but rather, you know, where you come for fuel for conversation. Um, I would love to see this. You know, discussion and debate continue. Um, you know, to see what you guys think. I, you know, so that's why my my priority is always trying to throw out relevant stuff. You know, to, you know, try to to bring in all of the factors and 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 things that I can think of that seem to be really important to consider in this discussion. Um, and we rather do have a few than...
1: places to, to continue the discussion, which is the Riddles in the Dark predictions page on Facebook, mm-hmm. and there will be a post on the Mythgard site that that. Um, Corresponds to this episode, and you can put comments up there, and that'll be clearly shown on the MythGuard page when it's available to be uh, commented on. So those are two places, and then our wonderful Digest hosts will will be able to then um, interface or interact with your comments. That's right. And give their thoughts.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No. My 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 hope is not to uh, you know kind of pass down you know the law or to say you know here's what we think is the right <laughs> answer of these questions, but just to as I say, to encourage the discussion. Yes,
1: Kevin. As Kevin says, our show is called Riddles in the Dark, not Answers in the Dark.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's um, true.
1: Well, I know you gave me a lot of food for thought. I know Brian also said that in, in his comments, too. He's going to go watch the movie again. Actually, he said today, and he's going to watch it in the context of some of the stuff that you brought up today. So, yeah, I think that's what it's all about.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Good. Well, one quick announcement before we go, just uh, for those of you... Um, if you've been, uh, if you haven't heard about it yet, or have been falling behind in the Unfinished Tales class, just wanted to sort of let you know, um, you know where we are in the Unfinished Tales class. We just did the history of Galadriel and Caliborn class uh, this past Tuesday. Um, the uh, recordings for those are now available. Okay, actually, that's only partially true. I haven't posted them to iTunes U yet, but they'll be up there today. <laughs> um, but they're everywhere else. They're on our podcast, the Mythgard podcast feed, and on the um, and on the, the uh the webpage for Unfinished Tales class. Um this coming week on Tuesday we're gonna be doing Isildur. We're gonna be looking at the disaster of the Gladden Fields as we transition into the third age. Um another really fascinating Um, sort of reconstruction on Tolkien's part and really reconsideration as this is one of the ones that he does um, at uh, a significant remove from The Lord of the Rings and it's really interesting to go back and look at his depiction of Isildur and compare it to the comments in The Lord of the Rings and see how his idea of Isildur has really changed over time. Um, So, Uh, I just wanted to definitely invite you guys Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, for the next Unfinished Tales class. And again, one of the cool things about doing Unfinished Tales is that if you haven't been keeping up, it's fine. Just jump in where we are. There's, you know, it's not no one class really depends upon another at this point. Um, So um, so you're 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 welcome just to join in for the chapter that we currently have under discussion. Um, Oh, and uh, 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 Trish Alden was just asking a question about voting. And how the voting happens? Uh-oh. We oh, may have lost Trish. Did we lose Trish? She, as she foretold. Yes, as, as Trish foreboded, uh, uh, she is gone. Um, um, we're going to... Uh, I will uh, be sure to cover that next time. We on. sure will, Alden. <laughs> um, <coughs> sadly, Trish is the one who's in charge of this. Um, so, uh, but basically, Alden, we're going to have... Um, you can register your vote, but basically the way that we're going to be collecting official votes is we're going to have complete ballots of all of our vitals, which will need to be handed in by the time we close our voting. Um, so you actually don't have to hand in your vote as we go along; you'll be handing in your complete slate of votes um, at the end of the game. So um, anyway, so that's that's how it's gonna that's how it's gonna happen. Um, but anyway, very I good. Also
0: remind people that the the final. Uh,
2: Silmarillion Summer episode. Yes. Is up. Yes. Our, uh, it's, it's, you know, we were calling it the lost episode. Of course, this is not literally the lost episode. Uh, this is the reunion episode, which was occasioned by the loss of the lost episode. Uh, so we went back and we redid <laughs> the last class. Belong like
0: long for that cometh beyond all
2: hope. <laughs> that's right. Yes. <clears throat> um, we did, um, uh, yeah, so it was like a two and a half years later, uh, we had a reunion and got back and did it. So anyway, that was, um, that was that was that was definitely a lot of fun. Uh um, oh, has Trish returned from the grave here?
0: Sounds like she might have. Well,
2: am I buzzing? Yes, a little bit. We're getting we're oh, getting we're getting yeah. Bjorn's bees again. It's, it's the only way I can talk to you guys now. <laughs> That's all right. We're just about to sign off anyway.
1: Okay. Well, I can unplug it, then you can sign off. Okay. So I'll say goodbye to you guys now. Later.
2: Thanks. It'll be fun.
0: Thanks. Bye, Trish.
2: Farewell from Bjorn's bee pastors, says, uh, says, says Trish. Okay, well, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.